We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let me get a woo 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 Durham Smythe Chase Edmonds 2.5 million easy game easy game for David Bergman what a legend if you haven't seen the video of that dude who won the fantasy football world championship please do please do and don't be one of those sad sacks that are like how do I How do I never win? How do I lose to this guy? David Bergman is good for the game. If you follow poker, they have that conversation like once every other week on poker Twitter. Is X good for poker? Is this good for poker? I am telling you right now, woo woo, David Bergman is good for DFS. Love it. We need more personalities. David Bergman, if you happen to be watching this, Reach out. Let's do a show. People want to get you on the tilt space. They want to talk to you about burning flexes. They want to talk to you about playing Durham Smythe. I sent Patrick Laird a message last night and I said, you need to tell your buddy Durham that someone won 2.5 million playing your boy, Durham Smythe. I mean, just what an absolute legend there. Um, How are you guys doing this morning? Yes, Holka. Holka was pretty pissed. Holka was pissed. It's uh, it's okay. It's okay. Holka's working through it. We love Joe. It was uh, it was a long, frustrating day. You know, those guys they put lots of effort into the lineups, into the late swaps. So I get it. I understand the sentiment that it's tilting. God, do I have a? I have a zit. I mean, come on. It's just like. You try to do all the right things, the right moisturizers, so you can live stream 24 hours a day without a blemish. And then boom, right out of nowhere, you guys have to stare at this. What it really is, is a distraction from not having lips. If you're looking up here, you can't notice that I don't have any lips. I'm blasting the whistle song as I make lineups this week. Hell yeah. We need to make a drop. I need to get, I'll I'll make a drop of that. Woo, woo. Um... Thanks, dude. I appreciate that. That means a lot, man. 
You know, you don't get a lot of people telling you your zit looks good. Thank you, Kevin. Um, all right, what's going on? What is going on? Uh, I had a good lineup yesterday. I, I thought I was in really, really good shape. Let's just uh, let's just pull it up. Let's just get right into it. Let's see here. Where are we? I had Orion Tannehill double stack. I brought it back with Jonathan Taylor. Or sorry, different game. I brought it back with DeAndre Swift. I played Jonathan Taylor. I correlated him with Jordan Akins. I scooped up some of that fins up value with Lynn Bowden Jr. And then my flex and defense were actually a late swap. I ended up late swapping. So everything from QB down to tight end, I had going. Let me make this a little smaller here so you can see the full thing. Um, I had all of this going in the 1 p.m. And it was this weird spot where even though my double stack hits and all my other pieces did fine, Swift did fine, Taylor did fine, Bowden, you know, gets there as far as, you know, value, what, like a barely 3x, um, Jordan Aikens, you know, fine. But I was at this point, I think probably like in 125th place. And I knew there were so many teams with Alvin Kamara ahead of me. So initially here in my flex, I had Alvin Kamara and Eagles D. And if I would have gotten a little bit more ceiling, you know, if I was maybe top 30, top 40, and I, and I could go through and realistically tell myself a story of how I could get into the top 10, then I maybe let Alvin Kamara ride. But we talk about this a lot, why it's sometimes trippy about, when you late swap, like intuitively, you're like, oh, my early stuff did good. I'll let the chalk ride. But when we look at how top heavy the prizes are here, I mean, I, I want to get in the top 10 here. That's what I really want access to. I don't want to raise my floor from a min cash to a 2x min cash. Like, I, I, I understand if if people want to do that. For me, I'm trying to get up into this top 10. So I said, I have to get off of Kamara. I cannot play a 70% owned Kamara and have any chance at crashing the party here. So I pivoted to Robert Woods and the Cardinals D end up being very happy. This is one of those pivots that actually works out. I get Robert Woods at 4.5% ownership, Skolansky bucks already, fade the Alvin Kamara chalk and Robert Woods outscores Alvin Kamara. Upgrade slightly from Eagles D to Cardinals D, 6.7%, 10 points. That was a good late swap. I felt good. And it didn't It didn't even matter. Like, I, it was just, there were so many teams surging with Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, and DeAndre Hopkins that this, this lineup couldn't climb. You know, we end up finishing here in 312th place, which... Not quite a, a shot on goal, as we say here, you know, but at a 2.8K, I feel good. You know, I, I think I gave myself a chance. I think this lineup, when you look at the ownership, I think I gave myself a chance to to get first place today. And it was just one of those days that was massively high scoring. And uh, I didn't have enough of those other ceiling pieces to get it done. Let's check in on the chat. But it was correlated, though. Of course it was correlated. I had a good lineup yesterday, says Chris, but poor contest selection did not make for a good day. Yeah, so they were running out 
these uh, double spies again. They, they've done a few of these weeks this year, and I actually don't mind it um, because I like that these get smaller. So they had a 2,222 sized one. Is that what this was? Uh, oh, this one was 2.8K. And then they had even the other double spy baby one that I'll talk about in a sec. And that one was only 833. So I loved that contest size. We'll talk about that lineup. Didn't do too well. Um, I noticed yesterday that Tanny also has no lips. Yeah, you know, we were uh, separated at birth uh, is, a, is a fun fact. And one of us became a very successful NFL player. And the other one of us is broadcasting about our 1.5x min cash on a Monday morning from their mom's basement. Um, a fraud for no mims. I know. I truly am a fraud for no mims. I did have mims on other teams. Uh, I had a Jared Goff double stack that I brought back with mims. So please don't take away my my mims card quite yet. Did a lot of late swaps to CEH and turned mid-cash hopes to dust. You know, sometimes you got to take the shot because you're already dust to begin with. Why Might as well take a shot. Um your take on the Friday show about Pollard was sharp. He saw all the opportunity yesterday. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I had Pollard. Um, I built five lineups yesterday. Um, I think I had Pollard in two of them, but not my two main ones in the double spy. And I really liked Pollard, but this is a, a normal pattern that you guys will see with me where I fell in love with these builds and I didn't want to change them. And I and I think that was a mistake because I did think Pollard was such a great play. But the other thing that I think was tripping me up is I've been playing basically two running back lineups and always flexing a wide receiver for the most part. And I think that makes a sense on a lot of slates where we don't have a lot of good running back plays. I think last week was a prime example of a slate where there just weren't a ton of viable running back plays. When Lynn uh, when Lynn Bowden, when Tony Pollard opened up, I mean, I loved these rookie running backs this week, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor. Um, I should have been more open to flexing, to flexing Tony Pollard. It was just tough because I was kind of preloading all of my Alvin Kamara or all of my lineups with Alvin Kamara in the flex. And we talked about this on the tilt space yesterday. If you guys didn't watch that one, it was a loopy drunk show. The link is down below as we were sweating uh, Leone uh, in the fantasy football world championship. But the late chalk is normally something I'm willing to eat because we have the added flexibility to pivot off of it. If this lineup absolutely smashed, you know, say I had one of those Matt Ryan double stacks that you saw some of those teams at the top had, then I probably leave Alvin Kamara and let it ride. But I liked having that that flexibility, that option to do that. And so that's why I had a hard time finding my way to Pollard in this lineup. I love Taylor. I love Swift. And I was basically preloading my lineups with Kamara. I should have had a little more Pollard, I think, based on my confidence level in him. I didn't have quite the Davis Maddock 100% jam. And I probably should have. Um, It was tough. I don't know how in these two lineups that I made, I didn't find a way to, to get to to Pollard, I, I think it was a mistake. I liked him. I got anchored to my builds. It was another one of those things on Sunday where I was I was busy. That news broke during the show. We still had to build our tilt space lineups, and I had to adjust all the other lineups I had built within an hour. And uh, I think I, I kind of took the easy way out. And I said, hey, I don't want to redo this. 
So this is a lesson to all of you. If you don't have a lot going on, really try after those inactives come out to not be anchored to your earlier build. I know it sucks. Start from scratch. I don't think I personally had time to start from scratch. I think I, I think I was too squeezed. But that's why ultimately I think to be a really successful long-term winning DFS player, you have to have that time and make that time to be able to make those those switches. And maybe that's a lesson to me on these busy mornings of like, I shouldn't be playing five lineups. I should have one or two lineups that I can really direct my focus on. That's just the stuff I'm working through. Because I, I like building lineups. We all like building lineups, but then you really realistically ask yourself, Am I giving myself a chance to make the best possible lineup with all of the information? Um, Whistle Woo will never have to say, please don't dupe me, bro. So true. So true. Speaking of getting anchored, do you have any advice for pivoting when news changes? Yeah, that, yeah, just what I was just saying. I really do think you, you blow it up. I think you start in, if, you know, some, there were some tweaks that were easy. Like I had some Traquan Smith. The, the pivots I did make were like, okay, I had Traquan Smith and I got up to Lynn Bowden. Or I had uh, I had Leonard Fournette in a lineup. Please do not tell Pat Corain. I had Leonard Fournette in a lineup and I, I was able to find the, I think it was $600 to get up to Tony Pollard. So those were more like natural fits because it felt within the existing construction of the build. But it was with a team like this where I would really have to flip dare I say, the entire lineup on its head to work Pollard in. Then you start losing some of the other correlations, some of the stacks, and then you're just back to square one and you should just build from the top. And so that was kind of what I did. Um, Let's see this. Most of the top 10 double spy lineups don't have any correlation outside of maybe a single stack. Do we need to start building core stacks and jamming in just the best plays in bigger fields? Um, So here's the thing. I mean, on these super high scoring weeks, you are going to see more uncorrelated um, teams at the top because they're nailing more of these one-off plays. We also had a slate where I don't think there were a ton of good double stacks just based on pricing and game totals. It was this situation where the big team totals were either on teams that there was blowout risk, you know, like Baltimore or the Rams, which is obviously hilarious in hindsight, or... They were on teams where they spread the ball out a ton, like the Bucks or the Colts, or they were on teams where a skinny stack is already kind of more natural with a Kyler Murray or a no stack with Jalen Hurts. So what have we said in the past, right? Like as contrarian players, we're not going to win on weeks where there's this many points. These aren't going to be our weeks. We're trying to win the weeks where everyone else's quote unquote best plays flop and we can win with a low-scoring week. So, no, I am not alternating my process because of another high-scoring week um, where you could have nailed a lot of the one-off plays. So, no, I, uh, I'm going to trust the process. TTP, woo-woo! Um, let's see here. Any thoughts on why Hertz wasn't owned in the World Championship? Yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I do have this pulled up over here. Kyler was 29.5. I mean, I think that's probably your answer, right? Kyler was more popular. Uh, Leone was saying uh, Wiggins, uh, who had Kyler Murray, he was expecting him to be a lot lower owned. I think people were probably, when you see DeAndre Hopkins' ownership, I think most people 
wanted to play Hopkins. And then it just, if you were deciding between Hertz or Murray, which I think either was viable with that kind of um, stack or, you know, quasi stack with Hertz in the same game, I think people just felt more comfortable pairing Kyler with, with Hopkins. And a lot of people didn't find their way onto Hertz. Um, but yeah, I think it, obviously in hindsight, that looks, that doesn't look great. Um, all right, let's see. Yes, that was the train whistle. I will never stop doing the train whistle. Um, I was going to try to figure out a way to leverage Kamara, but with all the saints so high in ownership, what is the best way to gain leverage? Or is that the point you just eat shock? So that, that game was tough to find leverage, right? Because we had all the saints value opening up. And then the Chiefs pieces were going to be, you know, popular like they always are. And their offense is so concentrated. So it's like, how do you leverage that? Yeah, you can play Sammy Watkins, um, I guess. Um, you can play Latavius Murray. But that's that seemed really thin. So the way that game would have been so much more tricky for me if it was at 1 p.m. Then I don't even know what to do with that game. But because it was at 4 p.m., I thought it was actually really easy to handle. You could build teams with the Traquan, Sanders, Kamara, Chalk. And then if you're crushing, you let it ride because it's good Chalk. And if not, then you pivot off of it. You know, Leone, we talked about this on the Tilt Space. He had a Traquan, Kamara team, and he pivoted it to Mims and Cooper Cup because he had the benefit of the information of the early games. So it's much, much easier to handle a mega Chalk game if it's late than if it's early. Because then you have to make this decision on it uh, without all the available information. Are you happy with the Bowden play at that ownership? Good question. Let's see here. Let's go back to it. 25.2%. You know, generally, yeah, I don't want to play the chalky one-off um, pump plays. I will say I was a little surprised. I I knew it would be get some ownership after the news. Honestly, I thought he'd be more in the 10 to 15% range. In this other lineup, I only had 3,500. I literally didn't have the extra 100. And I let it ride with Michael Gallup, who stayed at 15%. And I do think if you told me, hey, Pete, Michael Gallup, 15, or Lynn Bowden, 25, I'm going to take Gallup every time there. I honestly thought they would be closer. I thought they'd both be around 15% because I thought more people were going to be on Traquan. Traquan ends up being here 19.4%. So they all kind of um, ended up around the same price, I guess, or same ownership. Um, but yeah, I think I'm probably like seven to eight percentage points higher here on, on Bowden than I would have liked. Probably would like that one back to play to play Gallup if I knew. Um, Stewart's... Stuart Gibson's answer on this a few weeks ago will keep me trusting the process behind stacking and correlation and lineups. People don't realize the math behind the nine man uncorrelated lineups for sure. And that's actually a good reminder. Uh, a few of you guys have been helping me out going through some of the old Friday shows to find some of these good nuggets. Cause I want to put together a compilation video um, just cause I think the Friday guests have provided so much good insight this year. And I want to kind of package them in a really digestible way. Some of the best nuggets. So Zach and anyone else, if you have any other moments like this that you remember, and specifically if you have timestamps, that's very helpful. Um, please shoot me a message either in the discord, the links down below, um, or you can hit me up on Twitter, but I would love to know any of those other 
quotes, moments, anecdotes, things that have stuck with you and helped you with your play this year. I'd love to get those all into a single video and we can kind of look back. I'm hoping to get that out before week 16 so we can prime our mind one more time here before the last few good slates of the year. Um, how owned was Ahmed? I mean, I don't think he was he was owned hardly at all. Um, I haven't even seen him on a DraftKings team that I've been tabbing through. I saw him on the winning um, 444 uh, FanDuel Millionaire team. He was 1% owned over there. And also, man, shout out to Chopper. Shout out to Head Chopper. Took down another million dollars yesterday on FanDuel. Solo ship. Shout out, Head Chopper. What an absolute legend. And uh, I know Eric Belair in here. Um, Chop was on the show earlier this year. Eric says it was uh, his favorite show so far. And Chop talked a lot about his process. Um, so if you guys want to go back and get inside the mind of a millimaker winner, feel free to do that. I'll, I'll be sure to link to that below again as well, or you can go through the old videos. Um, while I'm doing housekeeping stuff, I'm going to do a giveaway. I'm going to do a giveaway. I'm going to put up a video tomorrow and I am going to free roll potentially multiple people in the spy this week. I am, I will Venmo you a hundred dollars to play in the spy. And, uh, what we're going to do is just try to get some subs for the channel. So I think I'm going to do something like for every 200 subs I add, once I post the video tomorrow, I'll free roll someone in the spy. So keep an eye out for that video tomorrow. All you have to do is subscribe to the channel and leave a comment and you will be entered. Then on Friday's build show, I will spin the wheel, the randomizer wheel. And however many people are eligible to win, if we add 600 subs, I will free roll three people. I think I'm going to do for every 200 subs we add, I will free roll someone in the spy next week. So keep an eye out for that. Shout out to Head Chopper. And um, yeah, let's keep rolling here. Um, let's talk about this other team I had in the baby spy. Um, actually, no, I, I do want to circle back to this real quick because I didn't talk fully about this thing here. So the thesis behind the play was Tanny two rushing TDs. I, I mean, I know you're joking, but that honestly is the thesis. The thesis is if the Titans score a ton of points and Derrick Henry doesn't get a bunch of them, who else is scoring those points? So it could be Tannehill. It could be the pass catchers, maybe the defense. And that's that's exactly what happened. And so I loved the direct leverage on the Henry ownership in this spot. You get Tannehill at 3%. You get AJ Brown at 7%. Corey Davis at 5.9%. And they end up getting the majority of the points. Um, you know, a regret here might be not giving Marvin Jones more consideration. I mean, I think if we do the math here, right, if we go down from DeAndre Swift to Pollard, I believe we can probably get Bowden up to Marvin Jones, right? I don't know the exact pricing if that would have worked. But man, that is maybe one of those plays I make if I give a lot harder look at Tony Pollard and start this Tannehill double from scratch. So that that could have been, um, I don't even want to do the math on that. And I'm not saying I was considering it because I wasn't. I was just like, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to deal with it. I already like this lineup. But if I would have blown it up, that might have been something I would have arrived on. Um, because I knew I was going to have a bring back. I didn't love Hawkinson's price. And so for me, it was really between DeAndre Swift and Marvin Jones as the bring back. But 
yeah, it's it's frustrating when you nail the leverage with the Tannehill double, bring back's good, but if you don't have enough ceiling from all the other plays, you know, Aikens, Bowden, um, I, I got my value, but not enough to win a tournament. And uh, yeah, DFS is hard. DFS is hard. You have to be really, really perfect. It goes back to that contest selection. This was a nice lineup, but 2,800 people. How would this have done in the bankroll challenge league? I actually think I put my other spy lineup in the bankroll challenge. See, this was such a high scoring week. I wouldn't have even have finished. I would have finished 17th. I mean, it was this was just a very, very good week. Um, let me go back here. Um, also, did you not worry about the negative AJ to Corey Davis correlation or was it a volume play? Yeah, I know they're slightly negatively correlated. This is another one of those things where I wouldn't play this kind of team in the Millie. But my thought is like, I think I'm going to get a big game or uh, I'm trying to get a big game out of a pass catcher and and out of someone who's not Derrick Henry. And I don't know if it's going to be AJ Brown. I don't know if it's going to be Corey Davis, but at these prices with Corey Davis at 5,800, I'm willing to just pay and hope to capture all of those points across the two of them. And because this field size is even smaller at 2,800, I think it's viable to kind of eat two spots on that. And again, it goes back to that whole thing. I'm trying to eliminate how many things I have to get right. So I'm just trying it with the Tannehill double here. All I had to do was get one thing right, um, as opposed to trying to nail the one-off. So yeah, I, I in this field size, I think um, the double and, you know, I did it with another team too, with a Jared Goff. I did Woods and Cup um, in the same thing, the same idea in the smaller field stuff. I think you can you can definitely get away with those premium doubles because you don't have to be perfect. Um, let's see, can you go over good chalk and bad chalk and how you differentiate before lock? Yeah. I mean, I've been talking a lot about how the chalk that's later is just to me is good chalk because then you get, you can make the decision. Um, you know, I really didn't want to play Leonard Fournette. Um, I didn't think his, uh, pass catching expectation was too high considering they made him an inactive last week when he could have been the pass catching back. So to me, Leonard Fournette was bad chalk. You needed him to fall in the end zone twice to get there. That's exactly what he did. Um, I thought Tony Pollard was good chalk uh, because I thought he was going to get 20 plus touches and all the pass work. So honestly, for me, the good chalk, bad chalk, I mean, there's never, you know, a super way to simplify it. Uh, But yeah, for the running backs, it's the guys that catch passes that I'm way more inclined to think are good chalk because they give you that floor um, along with the ceiling. But yeah, Um, let's see here. Theory question. If building lineups with late swap in mind, aren't you only going to actually end up playing the best play a very small amount of the time? Correct. Totally. Yep. And and that's the thing. Like you play the best play when you can protect a lead. You know, Kamara being 70% owned, like just do the math on that. Of So I'm sitting in 150th place, right? And I know I need to get into the top 10 to make real money. So that means there's like 140 teams, right? That are a problem for me. I mean, so how many teams ahead of me at 70% of 98 teams have Kamara and I only have two guys left to go in this lineup. And I know this is just ballparking, just working on assumptions that across the whole field, blah, blah, blah. But you get my gist here. How can with just one differentiator would have been my defense? 
How am I passing 98 teams when we all have the same player in the flex? You're just not going to do it. So you use the chalk to protect the lead. And if not, you have to pivot off of it. And we were talking about that with Leone last night on the tilt space. The fact that Alvin Kamara comes in 70% in that live final, and there's no way 70% of those teams were live to get their woo-woo on and win 2.5 million. There should have been more swapping off of Kamara there. And, but it, it didn't happen for some reason. Um, yep. A hundred percent. You are, you're swapping. If your goal is to maximize first place or top 10 win equity, you are swapping off of late mega chalk every time, every time. Um, let's see here. Oh my God. I know. I know. Um, that one, that one hurts. Um, we ended up building a Brady double stack on the tilt space, but we brought it back with, I think it was Russell Gage. Um, but man, when, when Matt Ryan gets there, he gets there. Uh, Calvin Ridley been absolutely on fire. Would you have played Pollard if that news came out on Tuesday and he was like 70% owned? That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, first of all, if I wonder if he would have been 70% owned. Like I did a couple shows on um throughout the week, and I'm not I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. I'll throw Lamarck under the bus. I, I mentioned it on a show, and he's like, I said if Tony Pollard opens up, I think he'd be a smash. And I got pushback. And then I think I mentioned it to uh to Dean as well on Friday, and he didn't necessarily love the Pollard play. So I guess anecdotally, what I'm saying is I'm not sure he would have become 70% owned. Like people seem to just be down on Dallas and their ability. Uh, to score, I think they're worried about the offensive line, yada, yada. But for your hypothetical, if he was 70% owned, I'm probably not playing him. But I don't think he gets there. I think he probably ends up at like 40% owned, at which case I would probably be okay having him in, in matching the field. Was it stupid to not swap off Kamar Smith in the 50K red zone? I played the same lineup in your contest and won. Um. Let me see your, let me see this team because this then goes to the house always wins. Oh, I get it. Hauser. Um, so this is a really good example of what we're talking about relative to field size and late swap, right? So we're now looking at the Pete's league, 200 people here. And you let Traquan Smith and Alvin Kamara ride after you nail Cowboys you nail the Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, you nail Pollard, you nail Fournette, and you nail Ridley. So obviously in this contest, you you 100% let it ride. You 100% let it ride in a 200-person field. Like you were probably running away from first with first after the 1 p.m. games. Now the question is, is in the red zone. Um, let me pull this up and maybe we can look at this here. Um, let me, because I was in that contest too. So we can pull this up and I think this will actually be interesting to see. Do you re- let me know, Jordan? Do you remember where you were um, before uh, what place you were in after the 1 p.m. games? Let me know in the chat. Um, let's see, what was your name? The house. Okay, so you finished 27th there. And that one is really tough. So you finished 27th for 500. I, this is one of those really tough ones, right? Where are you trying to raise your floor for, it looks like you ended up what, 10 Xing here. You know, that's what you lock in when you write out that chalk. You're, you're locking in that 10 X because you got kind of close to like 
you you definitely got the you know bottom 30% outcome from Kamara probably but this was well re- within the range of outcomes when 60% of the field has it so i would say if you were trying to maximize your top 10 equity you should have swapped but i get why it was really hard yeah you're sitting in 20th place and i guess the other question is jordan did you look ahead at any of the other teams and try to piece together if they had Kamara or not, because that would obviously inform it as well. And when there's only 20 teams ahead of you, it's much more manageable to go team by team through those and see what they had. If for some reason, none of those teams or maybe only a couple of them had um, Kamara, then it makes tons of sense to ride. But if you're looking at 20 teams and then say 60% of them, you know, still have Kamara and you're like, I want to get first place. I don't want to get a 10 X here. Um, then I think you swap and if it doesn't feel good, right? Alvin Kamara was one of the best plays on the year from a points per dollar projection standpoint. So I get why it's hard, but it's that, you know, let's look at the payout structure again, 50,000 up top, 25, 15, 10,000, seven, five, four, three. I mean, we drop by the time to 10th place, 2000, I mean a 48 K difference there. I mean, that's just massive. And you know, to be a winning GPP player on the year or on your lifetime, you have to be getting access to some of these top prizes occasionally. So I think my conclusion is, um, assuming, you know, 50% of the lineups ahead of you had Kamara, I would have swapped. But I don't fault you for not swapping. And I realize why it's a really hard decision, especially when the scoring is sometimes still coming in up until the last minute here. Like you were getting Ridley points down to the bitter end. Um, you got Fournette touchdown. You got that Pollard touchdown late. So you're like juggling late swap. And then you're getting this surge of points. And I I think intuitively you're like, I should, I should let it ride. Um, but yeah, I think just having the luxury of doing that close investigation of the 20 teams ahead of you should, should make that decision easier. But uh, really nice lineup, Jordan. And congratulations on winning the Pete League. Um, look at you guys finish seventh in the red zone. You guys crushing this. Let's see your team. Is this you, uh, in Towie here? Uh, Kyler, DeAndre Swift, Fournette, Evans, IU, Gage, Logan Thomas, Hopkins. I dig it. I dig it. Correlate. Um, you did Fournette and Evans engage in that game. Ayuk is a one-off. Actually, not a ton of correlation here. But you get there with the Kyler to nuke, um, and very nice. And you don't eat the Alvin Kamara chalk. Logan Thomas, man, what a sick play he was at 3.8%. Oh, wrong. This wasn't your team. I was going to say, Baptiste, you strike me as someone who'd have a little more correlation here. Um, let me check in on the Roto Grinders chat. We got Jared over here. Hey Pete, do you think leverage is a little overrated this time of year? Obviously ownership always matters, but there are so many great plays each week. To me, it's like, who cares? Well, I care. Um, but I will say to your point, um, there wasn't really any mega chalk on this slate outside of Kamara, right? Like no one got massive. And so, you know, pivoting off of, Kamara, I think made sense in the late, late stuff to get leverage off of. And I did specifically make my Tannehill lineup trying to leverage Derrick Henry. And so, no, I don't think it's overrated. I think it just doesn't look as sexy on weeks like this, where it's really high scoring. 
the leverage looks damn sexy on the weeks where all the chalk flops and you win a tournament with a low score. So I think we just really have to push back against recency bias with some of these things here because it's tough. It's tough to, we, the temptation is to be like, this is what happened this week. Why aren't we doing this every week? But we got to take the long view here. You finished 10th, not seven. Uh, which one? Now there's two. Wake Ringer or Vikings? Um, let us know. Let us know. We'll take a look at it here. Oh, there you go. Vikings. So you did Kyler Murray, Henry. We were just talking about his ownership, 33.9%. Kyler Murray to Hopkins. Um, oh, my goodness. You went way off the board with some of these plays. Conklin. I love it. 2,500, 14.7. Wow, he was not on my radar, but that is a sick play. Chad Hansen at 3.9%. Um, and yeah, it doesn't look like you have a ton of correlation here. Um, it looks like, yeah, I think you letting... Now, this was another tough one for letting it ride because you were still... The core part of your lineup was all going to be late. But because you hit Henry and Pollard... Um, and you knew you had Hardman in as a differentiator. I don't think it was bad. I think I would have probably let this ride as well. You really only had one late chalk piece and all of your early plays pretty much smashed. Very nice lineup, guys. Look at this. All of you guys splashing around at the top of the leaderboard, getting shots on goal. You guys are going to get you, you're going to get to renew your GPP bro cards this year. Really nice teams, guys. Um, Let's see here. I honestly thought the report on Edmonds all week was that he was limited. Must have missed something. Yeah, I I read that too. It seemed like he was legitimately questionable to play. Um, Yeah, sometimes those injury reports ones are really, really tough to, uh, to figure out. Similar thoughts about late swap. Nice to get some reinforcement. Yeah. It's tricky, man. It's uh, it's tricky, but I think, I think you did the right thing there in letting that ride. And let's see how many teams ahead of you had Kamara, right? So none. There's one. There's two. Is this good TV? There's two. Um, see, it looks like there was only a couple teams ahead of you that had Kamara. So I think that makes complete sense to let it ride. Because if you get the kind of 75th percentile Kamara game here from from 10th place, I mean, then you are jumping up here into the top five. So I think that's a perfect instance of letting that chalk piece ride because you had legitimate top five equity with the chalk piece. I don't think you had to get off the board with your start there. And it gave you a chance to access, you know, the big money up here. Yeah, I would have done the same thing. No, you guys touched on it on the tilt space, but what did you have? But did you have any inclination that Kamara could be bad chalk with Breeze's issues and Taysom coming in and back up and Jameis out? No, no, the, the pivot off of Kamara had nothing to do with thinking Kamara was bad chalk or wasn't a good play. I think he was a smash play, absolute smash play. Um, you, but it just shows you the benefits of late swapping because even those of us who thought he was a smash play, which is basically everyone, he still has paths to failure. And it's just like, instead of playing an eight V eight, or maybe in the late slate, it's a, you know, a three V three with everyone. 
Try to get unique. Give yourself a chance to outscore Kamara because really you're starting to look at these these math problems, right? Like I pivoted to Robert Woods at 5% and Kamara say 60%. Is Kamara outscoring Robert Woods that much of the time to warrant a 60%, 5% disparity? We all agree he's he's outscoring him a lot, but probably not as wide as that disparity would indicate. So, and especially, I mean, Robert Woods in a great matchup against the Jets at at 5% ownership. And again, it it has nothing to do with like the play itself, but just the ownership and giving myself a chance to lap the Kamara teams. The interesting thing though, you'll see it at some of the higher buy-in levels is everyone will have that same thought and the, the pendulum will actually swing too far in the other direction. This didn't happen with Kamara this week. But there'll be some weeks where everyone's like, I'm buried, I can't play Kamara. And all of a sudden, Kamara comes in at 30% instead of 60. And you're like, shit, I would have jammed him, but everyone was doing the same thinking as me. I know that they know, so I'm pivoting off of them. So it's tricky, but I think in these bigger contests, like the Spy in the Red Zone, as opposed to, say, like the 500-man fields, I think um, I think you got to be ready to, uh, to pivot uh, off of those chalks. Um, will... You over-correlate next week, hoping that people overreact to this. I mean, not like anything different than what I'm already doing. Um, you know, let's let's go to this lineup because I actually think this is a good example of that. So this would be a lineup where I had a ton of correlation. I basically went in on two games, more or less, because of the field size. So like when we do the tilt space lineups, we're often playing in fields that are sub 600 people. And one of the things Leone's had a ton of success with this year in those super small fields is the overcorrelation, where all you need to do is get the one game right. And if the chalk isn't smashing everywhere, just having the pieces from that one game where there's a big pie of fantasy points is all it takes. So I ended up trying that out here because this was only an 833 person contest. And so I did, um, I really wanted to take advantage of the Saints value. So I had Traquan and Alvin Kamara. And then I had Kelsey and Tyree Kill. And I didn't love Mahomes' price. And I thought I could capture a lot of it via Hill and Kelsey. And I really liked Watson. So I just did a skinny stack here with Watkins, Akins, and Taylor. And then I filled it out with the rest of that 4 p.m. game stack. And then I had room for Michael Gallup and Falcons D. And this was just one of those things where The reason I didn't end up pivoting off of it here is because so much of my team was in that 4 p.m. game. And the thesis behind it was, what if that game goes nuclear? I will rock it up the boards. And the nice thing is, is I had Tyree Kill at 16.8 and Kelsey at 20. I thought those guys could have come in higher. I thought more people would have been doing kind of the studs and duds thing with this lineup. And it didn't happen. And I also got Watson... Aikens, Taylor, early were completely fine. Gallup was fine. Uh, Falcons D doesn't get there. So I felt like in this size field, if that Saints game goes absolutely wild, I think I have a chance to to really surge. And it didn't happen. And um, and that's fine. You live and you learn. But yes, no, I won't be over-correlating, but I do think it's all relative to the field size. Um, so what do you guys think is that the new stack Tannehill, Henry and Davis would have worked cousins to cook and Jefferson. 
Tua, Ahmed, and Smythe. Um, yeah, I mean, we talked about this uh, with Stewart a little bit on the correlation show as well. And again, I think it's, um, we talked about this, right? Where it has these, these guys on an individual play level are negatively correlated. Every time Henry touches the ball, Tannehill isn't throwing the ball. Every time Henry runs the ball, Corey Davis isn't catching it. However, if the game sails over the total and the piece of the pie is so big as a team, as an offense, they are all very positively correlated and there's a lot of points to go around. So you're just weighing the decision of the the micro correlation versus the kind of the macro team correlation. And I do think in general, plays like that are more viable in the smaller field stuff. I think it gets a little harder in the lotto field style stuff, but obviously it can work. And I also think the other key to it working is the price. Like you mentioned the two one with Ahmed and Smythe dirt cheap. I think it makes way more sense than necessarily the Tannehill one where Henry is so expensive because we were talking about why I considered kind of Henry to be bad chalk and that he really had to put up 40 points at his price tag and his ownership. I mean, you need him absolutely dominating all of the touches to pay off at that price. And if he is absolutely dominating, how much left is there for Tannehill and Corey Davis? So I think being price sensitive with that kind of quarterback, running back, wide receiver stack is really, really important because you're paying, you're paying for those points. And when you're paying a premium for those points, it's really hard for those other pieces to get there. Um, let's see, can we get a week where the chalk doesn't smash? Chalk donkeys are laughing in the face of GPP bros across the country. It's true, man. It's been a, a boon year for the chalk donkeys, an absolute boon year. They just get there week after week after week. But, but I, you know what? It's, it's fine. We want them. We want people thinking that DFS is so easy. You just run the optimal. You just play the best plays, maybe a little bit of correlation, but not too much. I don't care if I'm duped. I'll just put it in the spy. That's the mentality we want out there, Joshua. We need to lull these chalk donkeys into a false sense of security. And then as GPP bros, we pounce and the whistle goes, woo, woo. Um, Can confirm about lotto size field. Had Tannehill, Henry Davis, and brought it back with Jones, 185 better than Mincash, but way off first. Yeah, it's tough. But if you ran that in the 200-person Pete's contest, I think that's completely fine. Always good to get our morning tea from Pete. That's why us GPP bros, we're just injected with testosterone at all times. You either get first or last. I'd rather eat shit than chalk. It's the GPP bros way. Let's see. Sorry, Jared. I'm, I'm trying to follow your questions over in the Roto Grinders chat. I'm fairly new to DFS, but I've been betting sports for a long time. What's the big idea? Do we just try to pick a good player that will score more than the high owned guy? Well, this is a longer conversation, Jared, but I do, uh, I'm excited for you of getting into DFS, um, not to toot my own horn, woo, woo, but I do think going back and watching the Friday shows with the guests will give you a really, really good basis for single entry and three max 
tournament strategy. I think it's really good primers um, on on how to play these contests and how to think about them. Uh, but yeah, I, I do really think the most important thing right now is contest selection. I mean, your expectation and ROI on a 1,000-person contest versus a 10,000-person contest is just drastically different. Dare I say, 10 orders of magnitude different. Um, make sure that you are putting your lineups, even if you're playing a Millie Maker lineup or whatever you're throwing stuff into, get it into some smaller contests and give yourself a chance to win. But Jared, you can hit me up, I'm sure, uh, if you want to hop in the Discord, if you're over on my YouTube channel. There's a Discord there. People will get you on the straight and narrow. And we'll make you a GPP bro here very soon. Very soon. Any ideas on how you might approach tonight's showdown slate? I have not looked at it, but I am going to do a show with Joe Holka on the channel. We've been doing these showdown crams. Um, we go live at 7.30 Eastern. Um, and we make sure to do it after inactives have come out, after I've built my lineups. Because all I feel comfortable telling you is what I'm doing and what I'm seeing and what kind of exposures I'm getting. And, and you guys can, you know, do with that information what you like. So yes, Joe and I will be doing that again tonight for the showdown slate. If you guys want to tune in at 7.30 PM Eastern, Joe Holka still red hot coming off of his $59,000 showdown win a couple or last week. That's right, Jordan. Contest selection is king. The man who won Pete's challenge knows it's the best contest in the biz. Honestly, DraftKings, like, can you can you let me make this bigger? I mean, 200 people, we're filling it up. There's people who want to get in. Let me make it bigger. I do like having a small contest, but what? I mean, we could do a 300. We could do a 400. Come on, DraftKings. DFS is cool and all but I need 16.3 from Deontay tonight to reach the final of my home league. And that's what I'm really sweating. Yeah. I have, I have a couple, I have a couple good season long sweats going right now, which I'm pretty excited about. There's one here. I'm in this thing, the, the draft sharks invitational and they got, it was a best ball draft we did. And now all you GPP bros are, uh, you're like, all right, I'm done. But whatever. The show's winding down. Normally, I'm done by now. But I took today off from work. And so it's Mookie wants to victory lap some season-long stuff. Let's do it. Um, it's a lot of industry people, kind of pros versus Joe style best ball draft. And it was a free roll. But there's 2,000 to first. So I was in this draft. Thorman, Rebar, Mike Tagliere, Pat Doherty, all kinds of guys. My team is absolutely nasty. I have a six, I had a 60 point lead heading into today. My team went off again here, 206 points. I was going across the other leagues. I think I've extended my lead to 90 heading into week 16. So this is one of my bigger sweats. I mean, $0 free roll, 2000 for winning the whole thing, 250 for winning my league. So I'm hoping this one holds Kyler Tannehill got Bowden coming on. I drafted Dalvin Cook and then didn't draft a running back for like 12 rounds. Got Ayuk, A.J. Brown, Diggs, Landry, Mark Andrews. Didn't even use Mike Davis's score this week. Didn't use Kirk. So this is my big sweat. Hoping this holds. 
And then, yeah, my other good one is I made a team into the underdog fantasy, the bubble. Um, let's see here. I made a team to the bubble finals. So there's 39 people that made it. Let me see if I can get this. I want this log man. All right. Let's let me get signed in here. Oh, uh, yes. So my other thing, uh, I am going to be on the Gilcast week 17. So for week 17 only, I'm going to turn in my GPP bro card and I am going to be a cash gram grinder. I'm still working out my full schedule. I want to get Cardi on. I want to scoop one of Levitan's head-to-heads. I am going to be a cash game grinder for week 17. Week 17 is cash game week. And it will wrap up with me going on the Gilcast in week 17 to tilt with Sammy, Nate Noling, and Davis Maddock. That is going to be very fun. Um, why can't I pull up? I think this is the cops. They don't want me to log in and talk about my best ball team. Um, I think they know that that is um, that's a crime in a lot of in a lot of states including Massachusetts to talk about your best ball teams but i have a 1 in 39 chance at 20k right um but i literally can't log into this right now like what is going on uh, i'll just pull up the uh i think i have a tweet where someone asked for the screenshot i'll just pull that up do 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 because you guys care about my best ball team. I sent it to Chris last night. Here it is. Can you guys see that? Is that too small? Here we go. Um, I, I can't tell if you guys can see that or not. Let me try that. Maybe that's a little better. Okay. So Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill. Look at this zero RB squad here. Tony Pollard opens up at just the absolute perfect time. Tony Pollard coming in 28.2. Lynn Bode and Tony Pollard propelling me to the finals of the underdog bubble here. Um, then I had the, the double stack with Matt Ryan. I had Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage. Didn't even use Russell Gage's points this week. I have the Ryan Tannehill double, AJ Brown, Corey Davis. And then I didn't even use Devontae Adams this week either. Pollard like saved my ass in not having to use Devontae. Have Diggs had Lamb, who I used here, and then I had Kelsey, Kelsey and Goddard. So all the teams, obviously, that make it to the final 39 um, are very good teams. Um, You know, I don't necessarily love that both of the Titans and Falcons are on the road outdoors in Week 16. You know, I'm going to need another big ceiling game from one of these guys. Um, but I love how this team is setting up. And obviously the other big key here is, can I get Tony Pollard again in week 16? If I can get Tony Pollard and then I have the Falcons going against the chiefs, get Kelsey going. Um, and I have Tannehill going against the Packers. So I almost have these like DFS game stacks set up here. The Ryan double with the Kelsey bring back the Tannehill double with the Adams bring back. So really hoping I can crash the party here. First place, 20,000. This was a $5 buy-in on underdog. 
Um, and yeah, we're going to have a best ball sweat week 16. So that is going to be fun. Um, yes, I know. I, I had connected with Sammy earlier this year, um, to, to try to get him on a show. It didn't work out. And, uh, I've been meaning to circle back with him. I need to, uh, I need to do a show with Sammy here again soon. Um, yeah. Maybe that is a good idea. Maybe I can convince them to do video and we can do audio video for that show. That's a good idea. Um, I am not from Massachusetts. I live here now. I came out here for a woman who I now call my wife and I left San Diego. That's how you know I was in love. I left San Diego to move here and uh, I spent two hours on, uh, what was it? Tuesday, Wednesday, shoveling snow. That's what love is, folks. Um, Pollard was the nuts this year. That's why we stash all season. I know I started him in a bunch of season long leagues, used him in a lot of best ball leagues. Um, yeah, it was, uh, Pollard opening up is very nice. Um, all right, guys. Um, Jay newbie in the Roto grinder says, dude, you're setting yourself up for an awful show. You overrate. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. But I mean, like, what's the point? Um, if I wait, to victory lap and then they fail. Um, then I, then I didn't get any victory lap equity. So you got a victory lap at, ahead of time. So when it fails, you already got the victory lap in. Thank you, newbie. Thank you. Um, all right, guys, this is fun as always. Um, I think the schedule is going to be a little different this week. Um, just with Christmas Eve and Christmas, I got to figure it out, but I, I think we will be back on Friday for another GPP show. We also have the three game slate on Saturday. So I'll have to figure things out, but I will get a guest booked. And like I said, keep an eye out on my channel tomorrow. I'm going to put a giveaway video up. The goal is to be to get YouTube subs and I am going to free roll people in the spy for week 16. So all you're going to have to do is leave a comment and I will enter you into a drawing that I will do on Friday. And I, I could, there are theoretically, I could theoretically have to stake 10 people in the spy. If I added, what is the math on that? 10 times 200, that would be 2,000 subs. So make me pay. Make me pay for my subs. Tune in for that video. Tomorrow will be a fun time. I appreciate you guys. Good luck on the showdown slate. Like I said, I will be back on the channel tonight with Joe Holka for a cram, just a quick 20 to 25 minute breakdown telling you who we're playing, what our constructions are looking like, all that good stuff. Uh, thank you to Roto Grinders for hosting us. As always, congratulations again to Head Chopper, for Peter Overzet, for the man that goes woo woo. We'll see you guys later tonight. Woo!